Welcome to the Inside Events Podcast, brought to you by SwapCard. There's no better time to have exclusive conversations with the industry professionals who are reshaping the events industry. We're bringing you inside knowledge from industry leaders. Let's get started with your host, Megan Powers. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode four of the Inside Events Podcast. Very excited to bring you an incredible co-host today and a guest that I mean to get. It's a get is the term that I've heard recently. Michael Dominguez, Mike D um, is our guest today. My co-host is the lovely Shannon D'Souza. How are you, Shannon? Good. Thanks for having me, Megan. Absolutely. Okay. So I'm going to read your little bio and then if there's anything I didn't include, feel free to supplement. <laughs> Uh, she is a sales and marketing strategist, an event expert, an education catalyst, a mentor, a speaker, and her company is D'Souza On Demand, which she has had for almost four years now. Congratulations. Thank you. She plays the role of an intrapreneur, working with and supporting startups to achieve their ambitious goals. She's comfortable wearing multiple hats to jump on board and assist with business development, commercialization, product development, operations, marketing, and sales execution strategies. And she's currently focused on working with clients within the event and technology industries. And so I thought... Since you are an event tech woman, coming from having worked with Eventmovi and attendees as, um, as two of your, of your past lives, I thought it was perfectly appropriate to have you be a co-host with me on SwapCard's podcast. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I also work with, I've worked with, um, I'm working with Snowball. I've worked with um, Software Conference Solutions um, and I'm working with Tech Digital as well. So a lot of my clients are coming to me to grow, expand, get the word out, and we're focusing on strong you know, lead generation and demand generation opportunities for them. Fabulous. Yeah. And um, actually SwapCard has uh, just recently is expanding to the U.S. Oh, so they um, have been in Canada and obviously Europe. They're based in Paris. Um, and now, yeah, so they have their, their, uh, American, their first American employee is actually in France right now getting all trained up. And, oh, fun. Um, Where are they going to be headquartered? Matthew Ryan, San Francisco. Oh, lovely. Yeah. So that's, that's exciting. Um, and okay. So we're going to talk news before we get to, um, um, Mike D and so I, there's been a lot of talk that about climate change clearly, but I found this article that MPI wrote. Um, it's in the MPI blog um, from last week, a Thursday or Friday. It, it was up um, about the fact that climate change can actually be people can consider making money from trying to make the climate, the the, the uh, environment better, which I think is um, that, that money talks, right? <laughs> True. <laughs> um, and Fiona Pelham, who um, she like our guest today, she's also a past chairman of, of MPI, and her company is really um, trying to lead the charge in elevating sustainability in events to an entirely other level. I wanted to read a couple of quotes from her from the from the article. The name of the article is "Mitigating Climate Change Can Mean Cold Hard Cash." Um, she said, "I love that. That's sexy. right." Yeah, <laughs> great. I mean, it's great. You know, I love a good uh, clickbait um, title of anything. Uh, sustainability is not just the environmental piece. It's also the social and economic piece, um, Fiona said. And as it turns out, both global capitalists and, and environmentalists can appreciate the idea of moral money. 
Mm. Um, and moving away from the one size fits all sustainability checklist uh, is an, another ingredient of the emerging purpose meets profit economy. She said, every single event is different. Therefore, during the planning of the event, there should be a stage where the key stakeholders come together, supply chain to client to event organizers to identify the sustainability challenges of the event. So I'm, I'm curious, Shannon, from a, you live in Canada, Vancouver, um, and yes. you know, our, our industry has had the Green Meetings Industry Council for years. And I feel like they've been educating us on how to think about this element of our meeting, but clearly it, um, it's being raised to another level kind of with this um, global effort. Can, what, what efforts has Canada been making on this front um, with regard to meetings and events? Oh, man, so Vancouver is probably the greenest <laughs> place in all of Canada to really be. Um, and you feel it as soon as you get here, literally in the way the landscape of the city is actually built. There's tons and tons and tons of green. Um, but in, in regards to meetings and events, um, I think, you know, focusing on not trying to waste. Want not, waste not. Um, and how is this going back into the environment? specifically in regards to food, cutlery, teardown, AC even. A lot of Vancouver is built without AC, if you can even imagine. Um, so now with climate change, it gets pretty hot out here. Um, but understanding, you know, that we don't need, you don't have to have everything. You know, we can live without and having that kind of mindset. I would definitely say if you brought your, your events to Canada and Vancouver, you, you will be having that discussion and that conversation. Yeah, I mean, so the bottom line is changing, I think is the moral of this uh, article. And it says, surveying the 500 biggest global companies by market cap, um, this company uh, based in the UK, CDP, forecasted $1.2 trillion in potential revenue from low emissions products and services. So, wow. I mean, it's this, this climate business opportunities were estimated at $2.1 trillion. So it's just a matter of changing mindset, right? Yeah, and, and, it's, and it's a niche, right? And yeah. I think it's as there's more awareness, there will be more questions being asked from planners to vendors. So might as well forecast, look ahead, find, you know, new lines of product. That's new business, right? So be innovative. Yeah. So I uh, used to work with Oracle. I did uh, their largest users conference, the, the AV. And so years back, 10 years ago, they were really forcing the, San the city of San Francisco to make changes. So it can also come from the client. If yes. the client pushes a city or, or, the, or the, the suppliers that they work with to do certain things, then, then they will. Because they need yep. the business, and and really, it's all at all like benefits everyone uh, in the end. Hundred um, percent. And Fiona will say from that article, it's all about tracking, right? right. Um, so knowing your footprint, um, that's how you're going to be able to negotiate and make ha have these conversations um, because you have the data. Right. Okay. Cool. So the next article that I uh, kind of newsworthy item, which I found really interesting, that I I came across from last week. Um, which is like, this is the definition of clickbait, the name of this, this article. Want better engagement? Hijack attendees' mobile devices. Because of course, everyone's going to read that and be like, uh-uh, you're not taking my phone. <laughs> right? Drama, drama. What are yeah. they going to do? <laughs> <laughs> but of course, it's, they, by hijack, they mean like, they already have it in their hand. You might as well get them engaged Use uh, it. using it. Yeah. So, and it's, I mean, doing this, as part of your meeting is not necessarily new no. or, or necessarily newsworthy, but 
I just found it interesting. Um, the notion of like, I kind of things are changing and new products are coming. We know, you know, we have Glisser and Slido, which presenters have been using for a while now, right. To pull yep. their attendees. But, um, did you have a chance? So the first thing that came to mind when I was reading this is that if that pickles product. Oh yes. So, yes. Um, yeah. So I met, uh, but one of the speakers at IMEX, uh, Chris, I can't think of his last name. It doesn't matter. Pickles, P-I-C-C-L-E-S is the name of the product. And basically his session was on using creativity to keep your attendees engaged. And so it, he had us using his, this app, we, we drew pictures. So he asked us to draw pictures and then we, of, of different things. And then, you know, and he, he just did a lot of different things to try to engage us, uh, with each other. And, um, and then he, he uses this or the, it can be used to also to like crowdsource an image. So basically yeah. everyone in the room can create a piece of something. One of the examples he said, it was uh, ended up looking like Mona Lisa. So it was these little, these little squares of artwork that then become this larger thing, which I think can be a metaphor, right. For, for the, the meetings and events and all the, crowdsourcing that we can do with information. Um, but I don't know, what, what do you think about, you know, I mean, I used to, I used to sell AV. So gone are the days of like handing out hardware, you know, yes. we're using like, cause remember you used to walk the into quizzes. a room yeah. and then, yeah, you would do the polling on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes they worked, sometimes they didn't. So it's great that we're able to use, um, you know, these other devices. So, what do you think presenters should do though to get the most participation? Cause you know how it goes, right? And some, some, some speakers will be like, okay, I'll wait. Like, you know, totally. So for me, I like, I frame it right in the beginning that this is going to be a lot more of a casual conversation and it's a discussion between two people and not a lecture. And I found even just starting with that, it's like, it loosens people up and they're like, oh, okay, like, let's, let's talk. Let's, let me get involved. Let me participate. Um, I loved the idea from the article about the second screen. So often um, people you know, maybe bored with what I'm talking about, um, or they want to read it themselves or, you know, take notes or whatnot. So I like um, giving the control to the attendee for them to be able to look at it. Um, some programs you can flip up and down if you wanted to, um, you can ask questions through that um, for the folks who are not, um, oh, not overt, but who <laughs> 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 are a little bit shy. Um, right. So I, I like that concept of it personally. Yeah, for sure. And the making it part of the, I mean, because, you know, death by PowerPoint is. It's real. It's, it's a real, <laughs> and it still amazes me when I see it. I attended a session at a social media marketing world where the presenter used every slide was a meme, um, which I thought was really a really fun way. To, I love that. Yeah. So he, he and he played off um, each of the memes as his, like, you know, it, it kept us, kept us super engaged. I use um, memes all the time and often you will definitely get a laugh immediately. So it like breaks the tension. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and what do you, what do you typically speak on? What's your, um, what's your jam? My jam is revenue event marketing, lead generation, demand generation, um, and basically anything on attendee acquisition. All so the sexy topics, right? <laughs> <laughs> Everything you, numbers based. <laughs> what do you think about, uh, event organizers asking speakers or presenters to use specific t 
tools. Like if you, let's say, for example, Slido was the sponsor of an event. Totally. And they asked you to use Slido, but you're, you're more of a glister girl. What, what, how do you, how do you feel about, about that? Um, about it sort of being forced upon a presenter. Okay. So I mean, my entire background is in tech, so I have no problem using any sort of platform. I encourage uh, speakers and sponsors and, you know, whoever at an event to get involved in these types of things because you will get much better feedback from the attendee. So for me, I think that's extremely important um, as long as you're getting it ahead of time. So I wouldn't be pleased to show up on site and then be like, oh, by the way, you're supposed to use Slido because, you know. <laughs> right. No. Oh, uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just dropping that into your presentation. Yeah. Would be, yeah. Would then I probably wouldn't be very pleased, but um, I would still do it. <laughs> but, yeah. Because you're a gamer. Yeah. yeah. I, I, at Event Tech Live, I was told at the time I was supposed to be on stage pitching in the tech pitch competition. Oh my God. That I was supposed to be on stage. Like I did not receive the message in advance. Oh my God. And I, but then I also didn't want to miss the opportunity for my client. No, you can't. You have to do it. (laughs) And actually too, I had a, I had a prospect that I was demoing for. It was there when she walked up and told me in front of him. And he said, he goes, I think you do great. You just, just do like what you just did with me. (laughs) It was kind of cute how he, um, he encouraged me and I did it. But the thing about it is only five minutes. And so like being able to on the fly, so I had no slides because I wasn't prepared, but I just yeah. had them use the holding slide that they had created for my stand. And I did it. I was pretty darn proud of myself. Like the fact that I was able, I didn't win, <laughs> but I mean, probably wouldn't have won if I was totally prepared in advance anyway, but, um, oh man. I mean, that doesn't surprise me that you were able to do it on the fly. Like that's you. So oh, well, that's thanks. awesome. <laughs> it was, I think it, it was because if had, I had to do a cold, like, first thing I had to talk to anybody about in the day, it probably would have been a lot harder, but because I was already, you know, kind of in yeah, that mode. Rolling. Yeah, rolling. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> These things they do on the fly. But I also think that it's important to let the participants in your sessions know in advance that there's going to be polling like that. Cause there's, there can be, there's kind of that awkward. And I think that's where there's a little bit of resistance. People are like, oh, I have to log into this website yes, yes. and enter this code. And, um, and so I think putting that in the description of the session is useful. Um, That's smart. I mean, people, well, you know how people are. Not that to say that everyone <laughs> will be totally prepared because you did that, but at least it's, you know, it's there. And, um, and maybe if they're in the room a couple minutes early and they see that, they can, you know, yes. or, or yes. have it on or the screen on when you walk in. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But I think the mental preparation has a lot to do with it. Also, people are lazy. So like all of a sudden, if it's on the fly and they're like, oh, pull out your phone, do this, do that. And some people are not very tech, you know, adept. So yes. <laughs> it's a problem for them. And then they get stressed out and it's not a good, you know, attendee experience. So I think planning makes sense. For sure. Okay. So our, our next, uh, our guest today is Michael Dominguez. What, have you ever met him in person? I've had the pleasure once. Um, and this is when I was, um, saw him at IMAX having a drink with someone else. And I basically just ran up to him and was like, Oh my God, it's you in person. Uh, Yeah, exactly. And then he was like, Hmm. 
you look familiar. And then he pulls up my social media profile and he's like, is this you at Fancy D? And I was like, oh my God, my heart, I love you forever. So that was my Mike D experience. Um, and I've been a big fan ever since. So it's such a pleasure to be on the podcast with him today. Oh my God, it's so exciting. That's amazing. I love that. Yeah, I, uh, I tried to reach out to him while I was doing my master's thesis, he was chairman at the time. He, and I never heard back from him. Uh, and I was kind of bummed. And, and mo- mo- everyone who I told that to said, oh, well, he must not have gotten the message because he definitely would have gone back to you. It might not be right away because he's so yeah. busy. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so he is a gem and we're, we're super fortunate to have him on the show. And so oh that is God. actually a great segue to transition into the second half of our show, interviewing Michael Dominguez. And here we are with our very special guest, Mike D. Michael Dominguez. Welcome, Michael, to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you guys. So I always see your name, Michael. Do you prefer Mike or Michael? What's your? I, I have no preference. Uh, my mother's the only one who cares. And I've always said, look, I'm in sales. Just call me. I really don't care what you call me. I'm good. <laughs> That's perfect. I, I'm quite all right. So long as we don't use your middle name. Yeah, I, I don't have one. You know you're in trouble. Oh, you don't? Yeah, I don't have one. Wow. I don't think I've ever met a person without a male name. Yeah. Actually, I have my husband. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, it's just rare to have a Hispanic without a middle name. So uh, I'll take it. Yes. Or four four names, actually, right? The mother's name and father's name and and the whole (laughs) kit and caboodle. All right, perfect. Well, I'm going to read your your bio here. I'm going to do the best I can on uh, your storied (laughs) career. Okay. okay, so Mike, um, and tell us, where are you living these days? Uh, just relocated to Dallas and uh, okay. have, ke- have kept my place in Vegas and I'll be, you know, going back and forth. But um, Dallas is going to be the, um, de- definitely our headquarters there for Alhi uh, as far as our sales and marketing headquarters. Perfect. Well, and my- Texas is home, right? Yeah, so t- that's- t- t- born and raised in San Antonio. So yeah. de- definitely getting cool. closer to home. Yeah, perfect. Okay, so he is past chairman of Meeting Professionals International Global Board of Directors. He is currently the president and CEO at Associated Luxury Hotels International. Most uh, people know it as Alhi. Um, it's a global sales organization dedicated to the meetings and incentives marketplace. Um, so, and we'll get into that a little bit. Prior to Alhi, he was in executive sales leadership with MGM for seven years and Lowe's for seven years before that. So I must ask, is there a seven year itch at work? Or? Uh, yeah, 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 you know, it's, it's odd how things worked out. And um, my, my, my paperwork that I signed or my offer letter to come to Alhi, I signed it seven years to the day oh that God. I left Lowe's to go to MGM. And it was just eerie timing um, with both roles when I was leaving Lowe's, a company I loved uh, to go to MGM. And when I was leaving MGM to uh, come to Alhi, um, in both jobs, they came looking for me. It wasn't anything I was looking for. So the timing is just odd, um, so completely out of the blue. But yeah, seven years to the day. Um, and what's really interesting with those two hotels, they those two hotel companies have been Alhi brands uh, almost since the beginning. So uh, I, I have a 14-year background with Alhi as a member uh, before I ever you know took over this role. So it's magic in the making. I think it is. I think the stars all align to make it happen. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about what you're doing there. Um, you know, the, the Alhi as a whole is a global sales organization for independent hotels. And 
I, I, independent hotels and independent brands. And to really explain that, you know, everybody understands a GSO if you name one of the main brands. You know what that is. And they're representing multiple hotels within any flag. Um, what you realize today, specifically with all the mergers in our industry, you basically have four big brands and then you have the independent hotels. There is no in between today. And it used to look very, very different even a decade ago. And, and I think it's, a, it's an, an interesting line in the sand because independent hotels are as unique as the destinations that they exist in. And they are what I truly have uh, started to experience again because it's been a while, but they are focused on the experience. And when you get into brands and when you get into bigger boxes, it's sometimes hard, uh, even though everybody talks to it. Um, you know, a brand's a brand. And when you go through it, you know what it feels like. And it's why you're buying it. That is yes. not at all a, uh, a disservice to their model. Their model works because you know what you're getting. But that leaves something very specific in the, and we are all luxury. So it leaves something very specific in the luxury independent market where you have your independent, independent hotel and they have their sales team on property, <coughs> but they don't have a global sales representation. And that's where Alhai comes in. So we, we become the global sales team for those independent hotels. And when I say independent brands, when you think about the MGMs of the world, uh, Lowe's of the world, we have Kempinski uh, in part of our portfolio. Um, Omni, we have quite a few Omnis that are part of the portfolio. All of those, all of those uh, hotels have something in common. They are owned and managed by the company that owns them. And that's very different than the way the rest of our industry looks like because an Omni, an MGM, a Lowe's will never put a, another flag up on the building. A Lowe's is always going to be a Lowe's because they own it and manage it. Same with MGM. Anything they open will be an MGM. Uh, same with Omni. Anything they open will always be an Omni. You can't say that with other brands because they don't own their hotels. They're management flags for other owners. And those owners could put any flag on the building. So it's very unique. Um, you know, the Broadmoor is probably one of our best examples, but it's an independent hotel that the hotel was put in trust by its ownership for 100 years, which means nobody, once the, the, the founding owner uh, passes, nobody can do anything with it except keep it as the Broadmoor for 100 wow. years. And that's why it was put into trust to protect it, to protect it from what it is so that somebody doesn't see it as a real estate investment. Um, what I'm finding is in the independent space, you still have hoteliers. You have people that are in the hotel business because they truly believe in the hotel business. They believe in hospitality. They believe in the experience. That's not always the same. In, and I've worked for other brands. That's not always the same in other brands where it is so much about how much margin are you driving and, and what are you driving to the bottom line for an ownership group. And um, I think it's interesting because it's almost the difference between companies that are publicly traded and privately owned. You know, you always hear the CEOs of privately owned companies saying, we can do things that I could not do if I was publicly traded. So because, true. Yeah, because the pressure of quarter to quarter and what you have to report out versus I'm going to make an investment because I know it's the right thing to do and it'll pay off in the next two years. You're not always afforded that. And um, I'm afforded that in my role. And we're also afforded that in as far as the hotels we represent because it's a very unique proposition. That's exciting. That's amazing. You're, you're, I'm so happy for you. Thank you. It's it really, and, and you know, even I, I haven't been, it's only been 10 weeks. I'm still counting by weeks. It's not months yet. I'm um, like a baby. I, yeah, <laughs> I, say, I, I say you have to get to 90 days before you start counting by months. But um, I, I've had too many people that have just told me, um, you know, like I was made for this job. Um, and I do believe that everything I've done in my career has led me up to this role. 
I've worked for independents most of my life, even though I've worked for branded hotels for about 10 years. Uh, I've got about 20 years experience on the independent side. And what I think has helped me is I've also had big, big independent, small boutique. Um, I've kind of done it all uh, in, in that career. I've even worked at a CVB at one point as a VP of sales. And, you know, understanding those pieces and bringing that to the, you know, bringing those pieces of the puzzle to this job, I think is beneficial to our members and to our customers because I get it. And what I do get is um, that I, I have unique DNA in different sets of hotels. And, yeah. and we have to understand what that looks like because our city hotels that are part of our luxury collection behave very differently than our golf hotels and versus our beach hotels. And understanding what that looks like and then marrying them with the right customer is really going to be our focus. And then I, I, I think I've, I, on both sides, it helps me that I bring credibility to our customer because they know I'm so engaged in the meetings market and, totally. and, it, and in education and, and trying to make your job better. Um, it's never, I've never done that to be about us. It's always, how do I make the, you know, the meeting professional be a little more educated so that they can do their job more effectively. Uh, and then on the member side of our business, you know, the hotels and the leadership of those hotels have all made it very clear. What they do know is that I have sat in their seat. They know I understand what they're going through and what they're looking for and what their needs are and what the pressures are. Uh, that are put upon them by ownership and leadership. And I, th I think that gives me a unique perspective uh, to be able to bring that to the table, to find solutions that are going to benefit everybody. And, um, and then just the way I'm wired, I, I always tell people, like, I, I don't have all the answers. I just know what question we should be asking. And that's what's made me really effective at my job. Yep. Uh, and, and that I can pull that out of people and get a lot of different perspective. But um, I usually have the question. And when I left MGM, you know, my team used to always tease me. They said I was always playing chess. They said they knew no matter what move I was making, I was already thinking three moves ahead. I see that right now as I, I'm really starting to look at some things we're going to do with Al High that are going to be really exciting um, and very different from what Al High has done in the past. And it's going to be very diverse uh, in its portfolio of uh, services. That's and awesome. That's exciting for me, but everybody knows that everything I'm doing, it's building on to two other things I want to do. And it just starts, it's, it's almost a pyramid system and you got to start building it. And, and then it all kind of, I, I keep talking about an ecosystem. You know, we, we need to build an ecosystem where everything ties together, but uh, it's a lot of fun. And when I took this job, um, uh, there's a good friend of mine that he's an Alhai customer as well. So he's one of our customers, but he, I've known him for a long time. And you know, when I'm asking him, should I do this? He goes, Mike, you just like building stuff. You've always liked building stuff. Like this is right up your alley. And he's right, you know, uh, did that at Lowe's, did it at MGM uh, to be able to build structure in an organization and build some programming. It's fun for me. So well, I'm excited about it. That's entrepreneurship, right? Like, and your yeah. brand is known to be like a visionary leader. So this is awesome. This is very exciting. And the whole world can't wait to see what you're going to do next. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. It's like no pressure, right? They're all expecting it. And, uh, but, but as I've always done, I'm trying to listen and observe. Um, I, I, I'm moving probably faster here than I have in my past uh, jobs as far as making some moves um, and bringing in some initiatives. But I can move faster because I've always told people I'm, I'm coming in in the middle of the movie because I've been an Al High partner for 14 years. True. So True. unlike other jobs where I don't know anything and you got to learn it from the ground up, I at least know half of it. And I, and I do say the middle of the movie, I, you know, I, I don't need to know who's starring in it and I don't need to know what the plot line is. I just don't know how it ends. Yeah. So it's, it's somewhere in the middle, uh -huh. uh, but, but it's been fun and the team is amazing and we have such a 
really polished and professional sales team. And it's the one comment I've gotten from both customers and from some of our member hotels that they'll, they'll tell me, you know, your GSOs run circles around some of the other GSO companies out there. And uh, I love hearing that because they're talking about their professional. And at the end of the day, it's our people. Yeah, um, yeah we, we have a great brand, but that brand was built by a lot of salespeople that have been with this organization for a long time. And I just feel honored that I have an ability to lead them. So it's going to be fun. Nice. Okay. So I am going to switch gears a little bit. So the show is sponsored by a European technology company. Very cool. Um, yeah. So by virtue of that, um, we really do have a mixed listening base. So North America and, and Europe. So I want to know from you, the, the future caster, the, the, the Oracle, <laughs> what would you say is the biggest differentiator between the North American and European meeting markets? Well, you, you know, what's interesting is it, it, we, we have a very strong European presence. So this isn't foreign to me. No pun intended. No pun intended. Um, it. Yeah, it, it, it's so funny because I went to go see our, our London te our team in London and I said, um, you know, I don't want you to feel like you're on an island, although you're on an island, but I don't want you to feel like you're on an island by yourself. <laughs> um, but, it, you know, I, I think it's very interesting that um, I, I think you have to back up and look at first the economic environments. You know, the one thing I keep telling everybody today that the best way to phrase what's going on is it's certainly uncertain. And that is going to be literally our future for some period of time. Europe, most people haven't paid attention. There's pockets of Europe that have been in recession or have been receding uh, now for over 18 months or at least slowing down. But recession has started to hit in Germany uh, specifically and in other, port, in other parts. And um, that is definitely having some impact uh, across the board. Um, the, the behaviors in the meeting market uh, vary greatly, uh, whether it comes to gratuities, whether it comes to full planning, uh, whether it comes to regulation today. Um, you know, GDPR that put everybody through a fire drill was a European regulation. And, and it's interesting, though, because when it first came out, I do remember having discussions with certain CIOs to say, what's the impact? And they said, well, unless you're a global company, um, it, there wouldn't be. Mm -hmm. But if you're a global company, there is. And, and the comment from those CIOs at that point is, okay, Europe's saying they're gonna sue you if you do this. And, and the idea is if I'm a US-based company and you're European and, and it was a European regulation, you're gonna have to come sue me in a US court and get a US judge to agree that we should be following a European regulation when we don't do business there. True. Well, that, that, that's, that's different, but most companies do business across the board. And then the U.S. is catching up with some of those same privacy regulations. Um, True. But that just complicates things because it's something as simple as us talking about, you know, what we may or may not want to do from a marketing standpoint and even talking to our members. As soon as you mention, well, is this going to go global? Because if it's global, then all of a sudden we have a whole bunch of different hurdles we have to look at. Um, that's problematic for our industry. Not problematic is the wrong word. That, that is just a challenge we have to all make sure that we have moved fast enough to address. And, and that, that creates some challenges. Um, I think the business overall, you, you're, the biggest difference is the U.S. has not had a supply glut uh, during this recovery cycle. The, the U.S. supply has been well behind normal, normal patterns and normal lines, uh, which is positive for us because even if we slow down, uh, we have plenty of opportunity because we didn't oversupply the market. Europe has been exploding with supply. And I think that could be problematic on when it hits because as most cycles, and this is what has always, always hit us as an industry, 
you have your peak of supply right before or right during a recession start. That becomes very problematic to the hospitality market. And Europe right now has a, a huge supply inventory. Although they're ahead of us in the slowdown, uh, it may not mean much. It may actually be okay uh, because they're basically already in it. But that, to me, that's the biggest differential between what's going on in Europe. You know, Europe is complicated and you talk about uncertainty. Um, you've got to resolve Brexit got to figure out what that's going to look like. And Brexit is the one thing that's kind of holding everything up. But you also have instability in Europe because you have changing leadership. And it's not only changing leadership in the UK, um, which we, we joke often if you're paying attention to it. Johnson is their Trump. He is a business yes. guy. He is a business guy doing it very differently. And it's amazing that he is ruffling all of the politicians' feathers because he's not a politician. And, you know, for him to close down parliament like he did created all kinds of chaos. And all of a sudden it's like it was illegal. Could he do it? Well, he did it. And it's the first time in 40 years, but he's different. And I was just in Europe and that was the conversation. Um, the interesting part is that's who they've moved in. And there's this drumbeat around for different and and moving things a little differently. And it, it's an interesting one. And you look at Merkel being pushed out in Germany and new leadership in Germany when Merkel was the stabilizing force of Germany for a long period of time. That's disruptive and really disruptive. And I don't think we know where that all settles. And it's hard when you're, when Megan's t telling me, so the forecaster, tell us what's going on. It is hard to forecast right now. Right. Um, all I can tell you is that everything's going to be predicated on what happens with Brexit. Will it be a hard exit or will it be a soft exit? And that is going to have a ripple effect throughout Europe. We won't know more until that's settled, and we're all hoping that is settled before the end of this year. So the last time I heard you talk, uh, I think you might have mentioned Brexit, but um, but yeah, things have changed tremendously. And you you talked about this uh, that we're going to be in a deficit in, in the U.S. in terms of rooms. So things have slowed. Then we're stabilized in terms of like supply and demand. Yeah. Yeah, well, well, what's happened with supply and demand, the lines have actually started to invert where supply is going to outpace demand, but it's outpacing it at such a small level. When demand has outpaced supply for the last 10 years in this recovery uh, at a pace we hadn't seen before. So it's not, it's not that it's going upside down. It's just starting to normalize. Now, we're also normalizing, and I don't think we talk enough about it in the U.S., we're normalizing at an occupancy rate that is 7% higher than where we were in 2008. So we are so far north of anywhere we've been as far as occupancy and rooms occupied. There's just so much demand in the market. And I saw a, an Oxford economic presentation recently and we could, and I don't think anybody expects this, we could have a drop uh, right now as big as we saw in 2009. And I don't think anybody expects 09 again, but if we dropped as big as we did in 09, um, we literally would still be four percentage points higher in occupancy than where we were in 2008 before we started. That's the wild. That's wild. And, and that's what nobody's getting around their head. Um, we, we've had seven all-time record years. And I will tell you, I, I kind of lectured the media a little bit uh, at our breakfast that we had at IMEX because the comment I made was they do a very poor job at times of telling the, the right story even in a headline. Because you keep hearing about slowdown and that makes everybody nervous. Yep. It is a slowdown in the rate of growth. That's the piece they're leaving out of the headline. Ah. We're slowing the rate of growth, 
but we are not slowing and going backwards. Yes. We're yes. just not going to grow as fast. And I keep saying it's an important piece of the puzzle that they yes. keep leaving out it's every huge. time they mention it. And it makes you nervous. Um, and, and, and I think sometimes these things become self-fulfilling prophecies. Yes, um, my biggest frustration in the world today is that we no longer have journalists. We only have media. We have people that are trying to give you a point of view versus telling you what is the real news and what's the real facts. And, you know, I heard Denzel Washington and you know, he really is brilliant. If you ever listen to him about what's going on around the world. But he said, you know, we used to have news today. We have a pin news. And <laughs> I, I love the way he says it because a pin news, um, and, and it's, it's a brilliant, brilliant way to look at it. And he said, look, we live in a world today that he goes, I can tell you a light bulb will have light. And he goes, and you're going to put three experts that tell me it won't. And you'll have three experts that tell me it will. And he goes, that's the world we live in. And he goes, but that's not news. That is a lot of people giving you a lot of opinions. And I think that's an important one. And uh, I do credit um, some of the writers because they followed up with me after that. And I got them some other information and had them follow up uh, as well with some of the Oxford economics data because it tells you we're in such a different situation right now that you have to look at data differently. And even if it's old metrics, and I think we're looking at old metrics, you have to really pay attention to what does it mean. And, and, and there's this great chart, uh, and I love showing it in, in current presentations because it's so ridiculous. But everybody starts laughing because it is so ridiculous, you know it has no correlation, but it tells you why you have to be careful with data. Um, but the correlation is very simple. You know, the National Spelling Bee this year in the United States, the Scripps National Spelling Bee, we had eight winners because they couldn't break the tie. And, and the eight champions, you just go through and then, and then they have rules. So you go through so many cycles and then you're just, you call it. Basically, it's a draw. So you had eight champions. The winning word this year was Bougainvillea. And, and there Never is a heard of it. Yeah, seriously, right? <laughs> it's a flower. Yeah. It's no, a flower. It's, okay. no, yeah. But, but now is it a flower? Is it a tree? Because it could be both. And I go all through right, all of that piece. So. Yeah. But, but here's the point. The, the winning word in the national spelling bee over the last 20 years has a direct correlation statistically when you graph it to the number of people that are killed by venomous spider bites in the United States every year. No whatsoever. We all know that makes no sense, but it, yeah. but it has a complete, and, and I show the statistical charts, it has a complete correlation. The charts mirror each other. And yet, you know, it has nothing to yeah. do with spider bites. <laughs> I'm like, it's, it's a great example to tell you, you can sometimes show data to show anything. Yes, and, I, I, and I'll, I'll, I'll agree with that one. I'll agree with that one. And what I that, want you to do is focus on talking about data. And, you know, we talked about the slowdown, but I wanted you to talk about potential growth opportunities. What are you cool. seeing right now for opportunities? Yeah. Well, well, you know what I think is funny is that I, I think the opportunities are kind of the outliers. And if you're talking about the meetings market right now, we, we have we have vertical markets that just lack understanding. And, you know, for those of you that have seen me present, it's not a surprise. Three years ago, I was telling you about esports, and all of a sudden everybody's talking about esports like it's this emerging thing. <laughs> it's not emerging. It's just hit mainstream. Yeah. Totally. And, and the point is that it was an emerging market that three years ago, people needed to be all over it. And the totally. ones that were like Arlington that converted their convention center into an esports arena, they are booming with it. And, and what people do is I, I really think uh, you, you've heard me in my presentations when I talk about unlearning, you got to get rid of what you think, you know, and Our I talk about, think, e right? <laughs> seriously, but everybody talks about esports and they think kids, 
they're not kids. No. And, <laughs> and the average age is 34 to 44. They have a larger audience that activates on Twitch than anything online. And they're an engaged audience. And anybody who's ever played games or has kids that play games, they're expensive. Yep. So you, you have to have disposable income yep. to be able to be in that realm. And here's the biggest thing. Fastest growing segment in almost 20% of the market are women. Something wow. that people wouldn't guess. Yes. So my, my, my issue is that when we look at opportunities, people start to put their own assumptions in those opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, I, I say it often. I think there's a huge opportunity in these different verticals and these different outliers. And people are looking for different experiences today. Um, you know, we, we keep talking about being in an experience economy. That book was written in 1985. It, it is not new. It, it is, and, the, and the author, I got to see a few years back. All he did was republish it. It's the same book. You know, <laughs> so he, <is> rebrand. <laughs> yeah. he, he updated some information. But my point is, it's not new. Experience is what we've all cared about. But if you hear, you know, the, if you hear everybody talk about it today, it's oh, we're in this experience economy and it's because of the millennial. No, it's because we've always been there. This is where we've been, that we pay for experiences today. Um, I think the opportunity is connect those dots. How do you connect the dots with what people are doing in their, I, I, I'm a firm believer in what you do in your consumer life is going to be the expectation in meetings. It's going to be the expectation in travel. And I think that makes complete sense. And let's, let's point that spotlight on technology. What are you seeing for emerging technology? Well, you, you know, I, I, I always say uh, you need to separate sexy from substance. And uh. we, we get so stuck on sexy technology versus what's going to be substantial in changing our industry and changing the way we engage and, and accept information. And, and I can give you a great example. You know, a decade ago, we were all talking about Google Glass was going to revolutionize meetings. Right. Yeah, yeah, we're, nobody's talking about Google Glasses anymore. Um, and, and you have to be careful with that because I think there's a place for it all. And, and I, look at, I look at the difference today between virtual reality and augmented reality. And I think, I think VR has a place. It has a place in games. It has a place in sales and marketing. It has a place to be able to expose, but it's not revolutionary. Um, when I look at AR and I look at what Microsoft has recently done with HoloLens and, and what that product can do where you're tying a virtual experience into your physical experience. And, and literally when you're wearing their device, you don't lose your physical environment. You just gain the virtual. Um, that's transformational when you think about education, yes. when you think about medicine, uh, think about being at an education session and the best cardiologist in the world that you cannot fly there because they're the best because they're busy, yes. but they could, they could virtually come in to help you actually understand and learn that's going to be transformational in what we do. And I think that that's one of the biggest pieces we've looked at is that, you got to look at technology that's going to engage the human engagement uh, more intently. To me, that's the technology that's going to stick. Uh, we get all excited with the stuff that's cool uh, versus the stuff that's really going to engage us in a different way. Right. Well, and also we have, uh, and we've talked about this on the show before, uh, planners who are still sort of tech averse. So yep. um, the, all the cool bells and whistles are, are cool, but, Adoption. Are we going to get adoption, you know? Um, and so hopefully these emerging technologies will, um, we need to do a better job, I think, as an industry to educate. I agree. The people who are buying the tech. Yeah. Um, but but so I, I also think there's a piece there, Megan, where you've got to, 
I, I think as an industry, sometimes we put pressure on meeting professionals that technology has to be used. Not in all cases. What are you trying to accomplish? Right. Yes, and, let's look and, at the goals. Yeah, and, sure. and, it, and it goes back to everything we're trying to teach the meeting professional is what is your objective? And not in all objectives do you need the bells and whistles. Not in all objectives is technology going to be a big play. And it absolutely depends on what you're trying to accomplish. And what I do think there's an opportunity as an industry we can do better. The, the companies that are doing it the best are the big tech companies, hands down. When you look at their, uh, their events specifically, when I look at a Cisco Live or mm. when I look at, when I look at Microsoft, or, well, in, I even look at what Microsoft just did when they bring 40,000 people together. Um, from an experiential standpoint and what they're doing, um, I think there's a lot of learnings, but what scares people off is, um, can you scale it? And, and what we have to do as an industry, and I don't think we do a good job of this, we go and show everything they can do. And then it scares everybody off. Instead of being able to say, this is what they did, and here's how you could bring it in into smaller pieces of your meeting, where it's not everything. And I think as an industry, if we could start educating that way, uh, again, it's the sexy versus substance. We show them, look at what they did, and we're like, great, they had a $20 million budget. You know, we don't have that. Right. And, right, right. <laughs> but how do you say this is what they did? And these are the learnings that came out of it. Here was the human engagement. Here was the environmental impact. Here was the impact from technology with examples of how you could bring that to life in smaller pieces. I think that's where our industry could do a better job. To, to Megan's point, I think that's part of the adoption problem. Mm -hmm. um, because what we tend to talk about in our industry is all the sexy that most people can never do. But we, we, we don't ever tell them, you just need to be able to run a piece of this. Right. You don't have to run the same thing. But what's the learning that you can take away to do something else? I, th I think that's a miss and, and a missed opportunity for us if we're going to get to adoption. For sure. Okay, so I told you it would go fast. And here we are. I do have one more question for you. Sure, um, we'd sure. like to ask, what's the, the latest hot tech gadget app thing that you're um, hot on these days? Um, actually it's an app. Um, and it's not, a it's not anything that's tech and it's very health related. And anyone who knows, knows me, I'm, I'm big into the wellness component as our industry, but there is an app called Jio and it's J I Y O. Um, and it was created, um, and I, I learned through it through our partnership with Delos and Delos living when we were doing stay well and, uh, through Depot. Uh, and this was a partner and friend of Deepox that had launched this, but this app gets into different areas of um, what you're interested in. Is it uh, mental wellness and meditation? Is it physical wellness and uh, exercise? And is it uh, jet lag because you're going to be traveling? And the, the app allows you to look at your different categories uh, when you want to learn, understand, and exercise, and then you can build it out. You get to build out what you're looking for in different areas. Um, it's probably the one thing I've been uh, most active with recently because uh, one, I'm curious, and two, uh, it's something from an Alhai perspective. I want to figure out as a brand how we're able to offer that to our attendees long term. Oh, that's awesome. awesome. Very yeah. cool. To your guests. Yes, <laughs> without a doubt. For sure. <laughs> All right. Well, that, I, I'm going to have to check that out. That, that sounds really neat. And I love when there's a new one because sometimes people say things, you know, that we've heard before, but I've not heard of that. So that's, that's very cool. Yeah, it's a, it's a really cool one that they introduced me, but they, they have nourishment, movement, love, meditate, sleep, and grow. And they're all different areas. So if you're, you need better help with sleeping, there's all of these pieces to that. And 
uh, they get into different experts, different readings, and different pieces that you can pull into your life. Fabulous. All right, so we are so grateful that you could take the time. I know that you're on a business trip. Like, when are you ever not on a <laughs> yes, business <absolutely>. trip <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> on the East Coast? So thank you so much for, for making this work. Uh, you're so in demand, and I feel honored that now, um, you agreed to be on the Inside Events podcast. Like, happy to be with you anytime, and it's because you asked. So I uh, can always make the time. I just got to work it into the schedule. So we're all good. <laughs> Right, sure. All right. So I want to thank Mike D for being our guest today. I want to thank Shannon DeCesa for being my co-host. And this has been episode four of the Inside Events podcast, and we will catch you next time. Tweet at us with the hashtag Inside Events and be sure to subscribe to get each episode as they drop.